Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adaptive Leadership for Public Health, a podcast created to help you address the complex challenges of public health leadership by growing and thriving as an adaptive leader. This podcast is sponsored by the Region 4 Public Health Training Center at Emory University. My name is Brandi Walker, and I'm faculty at the J.W. Fanning Institute for Leadership Development, a unit of public service and outreach at the University of Georgia. I'll be your host as we explore various aspects of adaptive leadership throughout our podcast. Today's episode is about collaborative leadership. Collaborative leadership is an aspect of adaptive leadership because when faced with the complex challenges that don't have known solutions, single source leadership is not the answer. Instead, the solutions require a multiplicity of perspectives as well as diversity of skills, talents, and experiences. And it requires that we as leaders turn to the people with the problem to be engaged stakeholders in the problem solving. Now, collaboration as a concept is very on trend these days. Collaboration is the thing to do. But do we overuse the word? Are we really clear on what collaboration is? Well, in this episode, I'm going to provide you with some definitions of collaboration and principles of collaboration. I'll clarify different stages of working together and share some practices of collaborative leaders. Your task, as you listen, is to reflect on these distinctions and see if what you have been calling collaboration is the real deal. And while you're reflecting, try to assess at what level you are engaged in collaborative leadership practices. Ready? Okay, so one reason you hear so much about collaboration, especially in the field of public health, is because it actually is a cornerstone of how the field operates. In a 2018 book called Leadership with Impact, Preparing Health and Human Service Practitioners in the Age of Innovation and Diversity, there's an entire chapter focused on the importance of collaboration, positive relationships, and motivation in the field of public health. We know that we can't solve the complex problems that we face in public health without working together. This field relies on collaborative efforts to achieve the goals of improving public health. So let's start with a basic definition. Collaboration can be defined as bringing together the resources and energy of two or more groups that then share in the success and sometimes missteps of a project. There must be sharing, not only of resources that include your time, talent, and treasure, as well as energy. Also, there's a sharing of that responsibility, both for success and possible missteps. Now, there are levels of engagement that we sometimes mistake for collaboration. And it's important to distinguish between these other levels of engagement and collaboration because at each level there are different expectations for your partners and a different kind of sharing of resources, as well as energy, that's required of you as part of the collaboration. So understanding these distinctions helps you and others be on the same page. I'd like to refer to the three T's of collaboration when distinguishing between the various levels of engagement. So what are those three T's? Well, time, trust, and turf. So time refers to how much you devote to maintaining that level of engagement. How much time do you give it? Trust refers to how much trust is required in order to maintain that level of engagement. And then turf, or sometimes I like to call it toys, refers to the resource sharing. How much turf do you give up to engage with another group? How much sharing of each other's toys is in play? Do you share 
or do you hold back because you don't really have the trust that you need in order to feel safe sharing? So the lowest level of engagement along this continuum is networking, which is a very important first step. This is a great kind of engagement in which you're exchanging information for mutual benefit, but there's very little turf or very few resources that are actually shared. This is the least time-intensive strategy on the continuum to collaboration. Very little trust is needed to network because the stakes are relatively low. This also means that you'll most likely be networking with far more people and groups than you will be collaborating with. And that also means that some of your networking opportunities can grow into collaborations. So after networking, the next level on the continuum to collaboration is the stage of coordinating. This type of activity helps people and organizations exchange services and begins to reduce barriers. This does require more trust and a little more access to each entity's turf or resources. So an example of this might be coordinating schedules with another organization or group so that you both don't plan an outreach event on the same date. You're not really collaborating just yet, but you are coordinating activities, literally altering your activities to coordinate with another group so that your audience isn't having to choose between two events. So at the next level, now we're almost at collaboration, but not yet, but the next level is cooperating, moving from coordinating to cooperating. At this stage of working together, information is exchanged, like in networking, activities are altered, like in coordinating, and more resources are shared. This involves higher levels of trust and a more significant sharing of turf or resources. It also requires a greater time commitment between agencies or groups. So think of this coordinating example when two agencies coordinated their calendars to alter dates for activities so they're not competing. Now in that same situation, a cooperating group might decide to share the date of an event and pool their resources to cooperate in a kind of activity fair. They might even have a formal written agreement on how they'll share a venue, but they still have their own mission and purpose for being there. And now we're at the collaborating stage of working together. When we think of those three T's at this stage, time, trust, and turf, a true collaboration involves the most time, the most sharing of turf or resources, and it does require the greatest level of trust. Why? Well, because you wouldn't fully open up and share all of your resources, or at least a good bit of your resources, if you didn't trust the other agency or group, and if you weren't sure that you were working toward the same shared goal. This is a key component of collaborating that's not found in the other examples of working together. It involves fully sharing the responsibilities, risks, and rewards. So let's take that previous example of sharing a venue and a date for an activity fair to that next level of true collaboration. These groups would then pool resources to work together in achieving a shared goal. That requires that they trust each other to best use the resources for that shared goal. In this kind of collaboration, you would definitely have a written agreement to clarify roles and responsibilities and formalize that relationship. So to summarize, networking involves the exchange of information, coordinating involves altering activities, cooperating involves a significant sharing of resources, and collaboration serves to enhance the capacity for the organizations because working together allows them to achieve more than working alone.
So take a moment to pause and reflect on a recent activity or a project that you considered to be a collaboration. Was it? Or did it possibly fall into another one of these categories of working with others? Now thinking about this isn't just an intellectual exercise. It really helps you become more clear on the expectations that you and others have in projects around commitments of time, levels of trust, and the sharing of turf or your resources. So let me ask you a question. Why do you think that we seem to want to jump to collaboration as that gold standard? What's the appeal? Well, let's talk about some of the pros and cons. One obvious reason why we want to move toward collaboration, particularly in adaptive leadership, is because today's adaptive challenges require more. They require more resources, more diverse perspectives, and more diverse skill sets to address those complex problems. Collaborations that enhance our capacity to do this important work can lead to new or improved services. Increasing the level of collaboration in your work can result in improved communication with more perspectives in the mix. Pulling together in a collaboration can give you wider reach and greater access to communities in need. A successful collaboration should also result in greater coordination of activities and the elimination of duplicated efforts. That's a big one. You don't want to recreate the wheel or waste your resources on something that someone else is already doing. And by collaborating with other agencies and groups, you can build stronger, more united communities. Sounds like a great deal, right? Well, it's not always as easy as it sounds. There are significant barriers to collaboration, mostly related to issues around those three T's of time, trust, and turf. The dark side of getting more opinions and perspectives and more involved partners is that you might be getting unwanted opinions and perspectives. So be careful what you ask for, right? That's why trust is so important. And getting on the same page with a shared goal or mission is critical. Another barrier might be that with more players involved in the collaboration, you might find you have decreased levels of cooperation during a crisis. Why? Well, because when we're in crisis, we tend to hold on to our resources rather than risk losing them by sharing. Another con might be that people could be silent in their disagreement and, because of lack of trust, hold back good ideas. This would be the equivalent of someone not sharing their best toy or their best idea because they don't trust the other people involved. Maybe the fear is that the other people will run with the idea and leave you out, stealing your toy. Or maybe everyone would devalue the idea and not treat it with care, which could be metaphorically breaking your best toy. On a related point, social pressure may lead to individuals in groups making the wrong decision. This danger increases when you don't have a clear and agreed upon shared goal for the collaboration and a framework or guiding principles for how you'll work together in the collaboration. And finally, if a collaboration fails, remember the stakes are high, there may be significant damage to the reputation of a community or group. This is another reason why established relationships and continually increasing trust among partners is key. And why people don't go into collaborations willy-nilly. You have to have some strategy and intentionality around it. And speaking of principles, there are six key principles that guide collaborative leadership. And I'll tell those to you now. They involve exchange, diversity, democracy, strengths, vision, and maintenance. 
Now let me tell you a little bit about each one of those key words for these principles. First, collaboration involves exchange. This is an exchange of more than just information like in networking. True collaboration moves beyond networking and coordination to the sharing of risks, resources, rewards, and responsibilities. Second, collaboration encourages diversity. Solutions that meet the needs of all stakeholders will be more likely if all groups are present and participating. Third, collaboration practices democracy. The process of collaboration promotes active citizenship and empowerment, creating space for conversations where all voices are heard, respected, and counted. Fourth, collaboration builds on strengths. Focusing on the assets that individuals and groups bring to the community help to identify connections and interdependencies that lead to successful collaboration. Fifth, collaboration requires a shared vision. Partners in a collaboration effort may play different roles, but without sharing a common goal and purpose, there is no collaboration. And finally, our sixth principle is that collaboration requires maintenance. Any collaborative effort needs regular tune-ups, adjustments, and refueling to run well. A collaboration is a dynamic process that requires constant check-in with partners, continued attention to effective communication, and an awareness of dynamics related to conflict. Remember what we said about conflict in previous episodes, it's often the source of energy and creativity. So as an adaptive leader, part of the maintenance in a collaboration is diagnosing the energizing versus the draining conflict moments and cooking that conflict within safe spaces to build stronger partnerships and develop more effective solutions. Those safe spaces help to create a climate of trust, which we keep coming back to as one of those three T's in collaboration. Think back to our episode on leadership practices. One of the five practices of effective leaders was the practice of enabling others to act, which fosters collaboration and strengthens others. As an adaptive leader working to enable others and create an environment that supports collaboration, you want to focus on two things. The first is creating that climate of trust, which of course is definitely easier said than done. And second, facilitating relationships within the collaborative group. So when it comes to how you create a climate of trust, there is no clear checklist. But you might consider what is known as the trust equation. Now if you're visual like me and also challenged with mathematical equations, you may want to listen to this part more than once. I'm going to describe this equation, which is formulated as a fraction with one part over another part. But we're not talking about numbers in this fraction. Instead, the numerator, or the top part, and the denominator, or the bottom part, are concepts. And because it's a fraction, the higher value you have on top versus on bottom gives you a larger number or value overall. When the bottom value is larger than the top, you have a less than one value. Okay, remedial math class over now. <laughs> so for the top part of this trust equation, or the numerator, you have your credibility plus your reliability plus intimacy, or the closeness of the relationship in this potential collaboration. And on the bottom part, or the denominator, you have self-orientation, or how you see yourself, which means do you focus more on yourself or on others in the work that you do with others. 
When your self-orientation is high, meaning that you're focused more on yourself than others, the trust will be lower. And the more credibility your organization or you have with the other person or group, plus the more you've exhibited that characteristic and behavior of being reliable, added to the level of intimacy or relationship already established, this gives you a higher number on top. So dividing the top value by the lower value, your self-orientation, means that even if you have high credibility, high reliability, as well as an established relationship, if your self-orientation is focused on you rather than on the well-being of others, your trustworthiness value will be lower. So that's the equation for trust. Listen to it again if it was confusing. (laughs) Moving now to what might seem to be a simpler list for ways to build trust and mutual respect. They're not necessarily easy to put into practice, but here are five things you can do to build trust with others. First, treat others as equals. This has a strong connection with adaptive leadership because rather than coming from a position of hierarchical leadership, you come from the position that values everyone's contributions and recognizes the strengths that diverse perspectives bring to collaboration. This also will impact your self-orientation, allowing for that trustworthiness value to increase. Second, listen actively. This allows you to show you value the other person and allows you to do this third item, which is learn from other people. It's often hard to know what we don't know. When we start from the assumptions and interpret things from our own experiences alone, we can't know what we're missing from the perspectives of others until we listen and learn from them. And fourth, you can build trust by sharing your stories. There's such value in understanding experiences as what helps create the people that we are. When we share stories, we're speaking to our need to have narrative understanding of one another to build relationships, not just knowledge or information. And finally, a fifth step you can take to build trust is to align your collaborative efforts around a shared goal and mission. When people are working toward the same goal, they have more incentive to put their time, talent, and treasure into the work. As public health professionals, connecting the work you're doing with the values of stakeholders that you wish to be part of the collaboration is key. This connects clearly with the second area of focus to increase trustworthiness, which is by facilitating stronger relationships within a collaboration effort. A few ways you can do this is by intentionally and strategically developing cooperative goals and roles, which is more granular than a shared mission. A shared understanding of the goals and clear roles for each person to play helps strengthen the bonds in a collaboration and enables people to feel valued but not necessarily overwhelmed. Another thing you can do as a collaborative leader is to structure projects and activities that promote joint efforts rather than reinforcing siloed activities. And in those joint efforts, you can support the norms of reciprocity or the expectation that there is mutual benefit for both parties. And finally, let's address some ideas about group decision-making as a collaborative leader, because, of course, decision-making is central to the actions of collaborative work. It is important to be aware of the pitfalls of making group decisions. Have you ever been in a group decision-making process and seen how the loudest voice got all of the attention, or the most charismatic person was able to sway the decision of the group, even if they didn't have the best or even a good solution? 
Or have you been in situations where you or someone else with a quiet and maybe less forceful voice may have had real value to add, but no one was listening? These are the dynamics that good leaders need to be paying attention to. As you work through group decisions and collaborative leadership settings, insist on the following ground rules. So for starters, respect the expertise and knowledge that each person brings to the group. Recognize when that expertise or knowledge is missing and try to bring it in. Don't let the strong personality push the group into a bad decision and be sure to allow space for that quiet person to be heard. So, in summary, success as a collaborative leader depends on creating an environment of trust, mutual respect, and shared aspiration in which all can contribute fully and openly to achieving collective goals. As we close this episode, I encourage you to think about the collaborations that you've been part of or that you're currently part of and consider how the principles of collaboration have or have not been in play. And reflect on how the practices of collaborative leadership would benefit the work you do within your agencies and with external stakeholders and parties in communities. On behalf of the Region 4 Public Health Training Center, I want to thank you for listening. We hope this podcast will help you build your confidence and capacity to address complex challenges in your public health organization by growing and thriving as an adaptive leader. In our next episode, we'll focus on leading change as an important part of adaptive leadership. Until next time, reflect on what you've heard and how it fits into your leadership journey.